Perhaps you have received something like this in the mail, or you have seen an advertisement in a magazine like this that says something like this. Have you ever felt lazy or compulsive or depressed or too heavy or too underweight? I knew I'd get you somewhere. And you read down through that ad and usually they're in bold lettering and just colors that just jump off the page at you. And you read a little further, and it says something like this. Your life can be changed, now get this, for $29.95. And when I see that, I wonder... Who buys this stuff? But the answer comes very quickly. We buy this stuff. We will pay any price to get some things under control that are not under control. I hope you have your Bibles. Your outline is in your bulletin. And I want you to turn and just stay there to Romans, and we're in the seventh chapter, and we're going to be looking at some verses beginning in the 15th verse. While you're turning to that, let me ask you, what is it in your life that's out of control? Maybe you have fear and anxiety. And you know it's taking a lot out of you and those around you, but you just can't control it. Perhaps you have a desire that's out of control. And every time you're involved with it, it brings a lot of mental anguish and a difficult time in your conscience. And it hurts those people around you, but you just can't stop. Maybe you have an addiction. Maybe you procrastinate when you need to go on. I'll get real personal. Maybe you have eating problems that are out of control. And you wish that you could get those things into control and you promise yourself this will be the last time and soon you're back again with the problem. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I cannot stop it. Look, if you will, with me to this passage of Scripture, this verse in chapter 7, verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I keep doing the very thing I hate. What is it that you hate? And you promise yourself you will never do it again. But you find yourself there again and again with all the pain that it brings to those you love and to yourself. 
Let me ask you to stand. I'm going to read some more verses here before we pray from this passage. I'll read 15 again, and then we'll read 16 and 18. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now look at 16. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Let me tell you another way to interpret that verse. When I do what I do not want to do, I know what I'm doing is wrong and I shouldn't be doing it. The Word's already convicted me, but I can't stop. And then look at verse 18. God's Word says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I have the desire, but I don't have the power. Do you know in this nation every year, for the last several years, there have been over 3,000 self-help books published in this nation? And the thing about self-help books, they will tell you what you need to do, but they can't give you the power to do it. Where are we going to get the power? Well, I pray today that God would speak to every one of us in this place. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, knowing that your hand is is not so short that it cannot save. And that your ear is not deaf and cannot hear. My prayer this morning is that the church in America and the church at 85 Sandcut Road in Madisonville will genuinely repent of our sins. Oh, Father, that's my prayer. So that we will see the glory of God on this nation again. We'll sense your presence in our churches, in our lives again. And Father, that our prayers will be heard when we repent from our sin. Father, I ask that beginning with me in this place this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. The Apostle Paul is saying, as he writes here in this book of Romans, I wrestle with things that are out of control in my life. Things that I don't want to do, and I hate it when I do them, but I just keep doing them. As Christ said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I don't want to do that. And when I do it, all the pain and guilt that comes with it saturates my being. But I can't stop. I keep doing what I don't want to do. I know it's wrong. And I have that will to do what's right, 
but not the power to be able to carry it out. And so here I am with all this trying to make a decision. It's almost like there are two forces in my life pulling in opposite directions. It's like a something that I have no control over is being battled by what I want in my life. I want that. Like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, that have all of this going on in my life. I don't want to do it, but I cannot help it at all. I make resolutions, but they don't last. How many times have you made a resolution, maybe in January, that you got through February with? Resolutions don't work. Good intentions are seldom good enough. I've made promises to my family. I've made promises to myself. I may have even made promises to God, and I still fall flat on my face. Well, if you're caught up in this cycle of trying and failing, I want to share some good news with you this morning. And I want you to see it from God's Word. I want you to know He can change your life. On your outline, I want you to see the problem, first of all. The problem that I have. Here's the problem. And it results in some feelings and emotions that are predictable. The first thing that I want you to see that happens is that I find myself in confusion. Look at verse 15 again. For I do not understand my own actions. One translation says, My behavior baffles me. I cannot change. I'm trying, but I'm just baffled by what I keep doing that I know I shouldn't do. Not only is there confusion, there is a second thing, result of this problem. And the second result of it is frustration. Look at verse 18 again. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I know I ought to give up my old habits. I know I ought to start doing this, or I ought to stop doing that. But the bottom line is, I cannot do it. I don't have the power to do it. And I don't know where the power is going to come from for me to be able to do this. I have that desire, but I don't have the power. So there's confusion and there's frustration, but the last one is evident. Write this in. Defeat and discouragement. Look at verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I try and I fail. I reach for the stars and I fall fall flat on my face. 
And after a while, I just get tired of trying because there's nothing I can do that makes any difference. I start out, once I have done this, saying and promising to myself, I'll never do this again. This is the last time. And as the day wears on, my resolve wears off. And it's not very long till I'm doing this again with all the guilt and all the pain that it brings me and those around me. I know what I need to do, but I don't have the power to do it. It's what he's saying. I don't have the power at all. One translation to verse 24 says, It is an agonizing situation, and who on earth can set me free from the clutches of my own sinful nature? Who can set me free? So first of all, that's the problem. But I want you to see the promise, number two. I want you to see the promise. And oh, praise God for the promise. Because I want you to see. We know that good intentions don't work. We have proof of that. But I want you to see what God says. I'm reading from John, the eighth chapter. Listen to verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. What does it mean to abide in God's word anyway? He tells me to do these things. What does it mean? Well, it means hold fast to his teachings. But it also means to live them out in my life. So if I do that, I'm His disciple. Now look what He promises His disciples in verse 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Ken, how in the world knowing the truth sets me free? There's a lot of truth in the world, and there's a lot of people who are not free. They're bound. How will knowing the truth set me free? Let me say something to you. You might want to write this down. There's not a place for it on your outline per se, but I want you to understand this. The way you think determines how you feel. And the way you feel determines how you act. Let me say this again. I don't want you to miss this. The way you feel determines what you believe. And what you believe determines how you're going to act. The truth shall set you free. It's what he's telling us. It's what his word is telling us. When I know the truth, I'll be set free. Now, here's what happens, and I want you to listen carefully now. We're going to bring this right down to where we live. Here's what happens in our life. When we have that hang-up, that hurt, that sin that's out of control, when we have that going on in our life, what we want to do is we want to start working on the fruit out here. I'll get rid of this habit 
I'll quit doing those drugs. I'm going to quit sleeping around with somebody that's not my husband or wife. I'm going to quit that. And we work on the fruit. But God says if you want to change what's going on in your life, you've got to go back and work on the root. The root of it. Now listen carefully. God's Word tells us, we looked at this passage just a few Sundays ago, in Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What I think determines how I behave. It determines how I behave. That's what he's saying. Proverbs 3, verse 1, a passage of Scripture I memorized a long time ago, and possibly you did too. But the Bible tells us, My son, do not forget my laws, but let your heart keep my commands. When God uses the word heart, He's talking about the mind, the will, and the emotions. He's talking about, in my life and your life, more than just mental assent. But it has to be my will, it has to be my mind, and it has to be my emotions. And when I listen to those, and they're in line with what God says, then my actions will be changed. The truth will set you free. I want to change, but I don't know how to do it. I want you to listen to something and write this down. It's a fact under number two. Behind every self-defeating behavior that starts back in my thought life is a lie I'm believing. It may be a lie about God. It may be a lie about yourself. It may be a lie about others. It may be a lie about life itself. But I am believing a lie, and in believing that lie, I am following through on my emotions and my, what I have placed in my mind, and that's what I'm acting out in my behavior. What I, be- what I believe determines how I feel, and how I feel determines how I'm going to behave. And when I am believing a lie then that's what's coming out in my life. That's what God is saying. God tells us something in all of this that I want you to see. There are some things that you and I need to do. And this is down number three. We've seen the problem. We've seen God's promise. And I want you to see from God's Word, the prescription. There's some things there that I want you to write down and I want you to learn today as we look at this. God's Word tells us some things about what's going on. And the first thing that God says I must do is acknowledge the root of my problem. I have to acknowledge the root of my problem. Most of us have trouble doing that because we're not really sure what the root of our problem is. 
We may think it's this or we may think it's that, but we're not sure what it is. And the Bible says that if I do not come to the place where I acknowledge the root of my problem, I cannot have help. I cannot change. There's nothing I can do at all. So I must acknowledge it. And if I don't acknowledge it, I'm just fooling myself. And if I'm fooling myself, I'm not going to change. I want to change my life. I want my life to be changed. And God says, first of all, you have to acknowledge the root of the problem. Now, most of us are not really sure what the root of the problem is. Most of us will say something like this when something's out of control in our life. We will say, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'm just a, a little slow when it comes to self-discipline. I don't do that well. I can't focus on stuff. Or I am just emotionally unable to keep doing things that I tell myself I need to do. And we just say, it's got to be some of those things. And I can't really determine what it is, but it's got to be some of that. I can't put my finger on it. Well, let me tell you something. God puts His finger on it. He tells us exactly what it is. And what it is is not very popular. It's not politically correct. It's not a proper term to use. I had someone tell me not long ago, I really don't like that word because it's negative. And it is negative. But let me tell you what God's telling us. You need to understand this. The root of the problem is sin. Are you kidding me, Kent? No. It's sin. That's the root of the problem. I know that's not a word we like to hear. It's negative. I know that it's not politically correct and it's not something that is popular at all in the vernacular. Most people like to stay away from it because it has a negative connotation. But God says the problem is sin. And here is our problem. We really don't know what sin is. Most of us, when you're asked what is sin, you start naming the results of sin. Well, it's lying. It's sleeping around with people you're not to be sleeping around with. It's stealing. It's all these things. It's drugging. It's doing all these things. That's lying. That that, that lying and all those things, that's sin. Friend, that's not sin. That's the result of sin. I want you to understand this. Let me tell you what sin is. Write this on your outline. It's an attitude. And God says this attitude is causing you all these problems. And here's what the attitude is. Write it in on your outline. There under the first bullet. I'm in charge of my life and I don't need God. That's sin. I'm in charge of my life and I don't need God. That's sin. And most of us have never put our finger on it. The oldest thing that goes back in the history of mankind was a man and his wife who decided they could make the decision and they didn't need to listen to God. And ever since, that's what's been going on in our life. 
And God says, until you and until I recognize the very root of my problem, I can't begin to be delivered. If I deny it, I'm only lying to myself. And I cannot change it anymore. I cannot make a change. Only God can do that. I don't need God. I can do it myself. Sin is that attitude. 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, God tells us we deceive ourselves. And I want to add nobody else, just ourselves. And the truth is not in us. The truth is not... It's a sin to say I have no sin. God says it is. That's the problem. And we've been lying to ourselves. You say, well, I'm not perfect. No. I can't do all these things. No, you can't. You know my circumstances, Kent, that I came from. You know the family that I grew up in. You know all the hardships I've had. And on and on and on it goes. And God simply says, as He speaks to us in this, He says that when you pretend there is no problem, when you keep deceiving yourselves, you're not going to get deliverance. And that's what's behind all of this. Trying to live with God without God brings all the pain I can stop defeating myself if I'll stop deceiving myself. Sin is the problem. I need God. That's the only way I can be changed. I don't know if you've ever been to an AA meeting, but I've had the privilege of going with some members of churches that I pastored. And it's interesting to me, in the first time I ever went in the meeting that we had, that they had, that I sat in and observed, someone stood up and they said, I am John Doe, and I'm an alcoholic, and I cannot help myself. When will God's people say, and those that realize they're de- that they're destroying their lives and the lives of people who love them and people who are hurt by what's going on, when will they say, I have a problem and I'm helpless to do anything about it? God's Word says, I have to acknowledge the root of my problem. And the problem is, I have been telling myself, I don't need God. I don't need God. I can do it by myself. And they're still in prison. Let me give you a second foundational truth. Under that number three, not only must I acknowledge the root of my problem, but I must believe that Christ can change me. I must believe that Christ can change me. He's the only one that can. Look at verses 24 and 25 again. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. 
He's the only one that can deliver me. He's the only one. It's an agonizing situation. I cannot get out of it. There's nothing I can do. And who on earth can deliver me from what's killing me? And God's Word says, the only way is through Jesus Christ the Lord. The only way that we can be delivered. It's what He's telling us. There's a Chinese who came to the United States to give his testimony some time ago. And I saw a copy of his testimony. And I wrote it down, and I want to read this to you. Listen to what he said. He'd been gloriously saved and was a follower of Christ. Here's what he said. He gave his testimony like this. He said, I had walked down the road of life, and I had fallen into a great ditch of sin. Mohammed come along and he said, you're not really in that ditch. You just think you are. He said, Buddha came along and said, here are seven steps by which you can get out of that ditch. Climb and you will get out. I tried, but I couldn't get out at all. And then he said, uh, after Buddha, Confucius came along. And Confucius said, Here are seven steps of attainment. When you obtain those, you will be out of the ditch. But he said, I still could not get out of the ditch. I was still in the ditch. And then he said, one day, Jesus Christ came by. Jesus saw my condition, and without a word of advice, he stripped himself of his regal robes, He got down into the ditch and he lifted me up. Thank God what I could not do for myself, Christ did for me. That's what it's all about. That's the gospel. You can't get out of the ditch by yourself. You don't have the power. You cannot do it. Only God coming and reaching down and bringing us out of the ditch will set us free. You can't do it without God. But you have to believe that God can do it and that God will do it when you ask Him to. That's how you do it. It's a new birth. It's starting all over. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Only Jesus Christ can deliver me. Only He can. In Romans 8 verse 2, You see it all. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. Life, new life sets you free. You don't have the power. Only God has the power to deliver you. Sets you free from the law of sin and death. Right now, as you're fighting with all you can to get control of those things that are out of control, you are fighting a losing battle you will not win at all. You can't. It's the law of sin and death that's against you. You have no power over it. But God says, I can do it. Thank God He will do it if we ask Him to. You have to believe. You have to believe that God can change me. You know what He says? We read a moment ago in under number two, Jesus Christ says, you shall, God's Word says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. 
But when you go to John, John tells us, in John 14, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm truth. Do you begin to understand why truth will set you free? Truth is not a concept in your mind. Truth is not a bunch of facts that you gathered up and you believe they're the truth and because you believe them, they've got to be truth. No, truth is a person. Truth is not a consensus of what people in this nation and around the world are saying. Truth is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason you shall know the truth. You shall know God. One of His names is truth. You shall know God and He shall set you free. The truth shall set you free. That's what he's saying. My goodness, we understand that now. How the truth can set us free. I must acknowledge the root of my problem. And it's an attitude that says, I don't need God, I can do it myself. That's sin, friend. We must believe that God can do it. We must believe that He can change us. Nobody else can. But I want you to look at the last one. I must surrender all I am to Christ. All of it. The good, the bad, the ugly. Surrender it all. God says, I just give it over to Him. All of it to Him. The anger, the attitude, the desires, the habits, the hurts. Can't give me one good reason that I need to just give this over to Him. I'll give you a good reason. You've been trying it yourself and failing all of these times. And now, God's brought you face to face with the fact that do you want to be delivered or do you not? Do you not? I want to read something to you that I copied down out of a magazine. And it caught my attention because it was titled, How Do You Cope When Things Are Out of Control? And I thought, I need to know that. So I copied this down. I'm going to read to you verbatim what I copied down. It was from a woman's magazine. And the editors of this magazine had interviewed some of the readers. And they gave some of the things that that they did when life was out of control for them. And then they also put some of their own. Let me just read you a few of these. About this, it said these are fun and they're fast and they work. So I thought, well, that ought to be interesting. Barbara says, when things are out of control for me, and she was talking about at work, she said, I head home for lunch, and I turn the TV to the young and the restless. (laughs) I thought, that'll get you someplace. Jen said, when life is out of control for me, what I do is, she says... I check out mentally. And that gives me relief, just like I'm not even here. She says that gives me relief for that. Here's another one that said that when life is out of control, 
She said, what I do is, I, when I'm depressed, I go shopping. I thought that would be good for about 30 days anyway. And then Rita says, when my life is out of control and I feel down, food makes me feel better. So I head to the nearest sandwich shop and I demand pastrami on rye. And there were more, but I want to read some that the editors of this magazine wrote. How to cope when your life's out of control. One of them was, reread the first love story you ever read. One of them said, get away for a weekend by yourself when you can't cope. But I saved the best to last. When you can't cope and things are out of control in your life, here's what the editor said. When things are out of control, get rid of all your old underwear. Get rid of all your old underwear. Here I am, and I've got a habit that's killing me. I'm about to lose my family. I've already destroyed my marriage. I am contemplating suicide and somebody's telling me to get rid of all my old underwear. Friend, I want to tell you, is that all the world has to offer? I want to tell you that's the most they've got to offer. They don't have anything else to offer. I want you to understand that God is the only one that can pick you up out of the ditch and set you free and clean up your life so that you no longer have to be a slave to sin. He's the only one that can do that. Nobody else can do that. The world has everything they want to offer you. And this morning as you walked in this place and you begin to think about the things in your life that are out of control, you really just have two choices. You can continue to run your life like you've been doing it and you get the results of frustration. Or you can surrender all you are to God and begin to have victory. My goodness. That's all the world has to offer. A few Easter's ago, Time Magazine, as they always do every Easter, has an article about Christ or about God or something. And they had this particular question that they had asked. And the question was, who was Jesus? And they had all these theologians who came in and they all pontificated on what Jesus was, who He was. And you know, you read a little bit of that and you just sort of think, I don't need any more of this. But that's not what caught my attention. One week later, there was a letter to the editor from Michael Mandel of Toronto, Canada. And here's what he said. As far as I'm concerned, The liberal theologians can keep their historical Jesus and their cut-and-paste Bible. I'm a former alcoholic and an adulterer set free by the power of the Lord, the living Lord Jesus Christ. 
Who cares about higher criticism when the resurrected Son of God can transform you here and now? Amen! I couldn't have said it any better. Praise God! Only He can set you free. The only one. But God says, you surrender to me. You acknowledge your problem. You believe I'm the only one that can change you. And you surrender to me. Can't that's tough. Surrendering. Giving up. That's tough. It sure is. It's a little fanatical. Again, I don't know. Let me tell you what God says. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Friend, I want to tell you, God will give you something you've never had. When you surrender to Him, you'll have a love that you can build relationships on without destroying them. You'll have ability to stop destroying yourself because God gives it to you. You'll have power strong enough to make it through the most difficult events. But let me say something to you. You have a choice this morning. I really don't know everyone in this church. But you can continue like you're going. You can have frustration or you can have freedom. It's up to you. Let me tell you something. I don't know what's really happening today in your life or even everything today in my life. I don't know all that. But I believe that in any particular moment of time, even though I may not have a clue as to what's going on and what God wants to do and what the precise purpose of this moment is all about, I believe as a matter of faith, and you listen carefully to what I'm telling you, I believe that the story has an author. And I believe that the difficult chapters of your life and my life don't have to be defining chapters. I believe that right at this moment, when you may not know why you're even here or what God's doing, God has brought you to this place and He's brought me to this place. And He says, I can make a difference in your life. I believe that even the broken areas of my life and your life can be redeemed. Can be redeemed. You and I are a part of an unfolding drama that God is doing. And it has a purpose. It has a purpose. You say, Kent, I have tried and failed so many times that I've reached that place of just wanting to give up. And Kent, I want to tell you, you talked about how we're supposed to live and you read those passages of Scripture and I want to tell you, I can't do it. I just can't do it. You have to be perfect to do that. Yes, you do. 
You do. But let me give you the good news. We're not perfect. And you know what God did? He sent His perfect Son in our stead, in our place. And He paid the price. He has the power. He resurrected from the grave and sits at the right hand of the Father. And it is through Christ that we can have victory over what it is, whatever it is, that you and I are wrestling with. Whatever it may be, we can have victory. I want to ask you, have you sensed that victory in your life? I believe this morning that there's some people here that God's speaking to. I believe there's some people here that God wants to make a difference in your life. You sit in this church maybe for a long time, but you have never, never surrendered it all to Him. You've never acknowledged your problem. You've never believed that He could change you. And you've never surrendered to Him. And this morning, you're not here by accident. God brought you here. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to have an invitation. And I want you to be Judgment Day serious with God. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you would, to examine yourself before God this morning in His Word. That you be set free as His will for your life. And that you would do that this morning. Those three things, fundamental steps. You say, Ken, I want that, but I just don't know. Would you give us the opportunity this morning to pray with you, to talk to you, to share with you what God wants to do in your life? Would you do that? If you don't understand, would you be willing to do that? Someone will be standing here at the front as we have this invitation. Father, this morning in this place, I pray that you would take your word.